one of my mentors years ago, many years ago, he, when he was first starting his career, he would get up on the stage and do his amazing charismatic sermons and he'd step down and he would ask his wife, how was it? How did I do? You know, it was like, it's, it's, a, it's a question that every speaker gives to their significant other or their friends because we want that affirmation. And she finally, one day she looked at him and she said, once you figure out that this is not about you, you're going to be amazing. And of course he, as my mentor, shared that with me because that's what you do if you have a, somebody that you're mentoring. And I don't know if I've ever accomplished that personally within all things. I mean, that specifically goes to like preaching from a stage, but that, that can apply to anything in life. It, all of your accomplishments, all the things that we're all, we're all really gifted in a lot of things. I mean, I, we look around the table here, any table yeah. that we have on any given week, we got, we have some, some wicked smart people who are doing great things in the world. Yeah. And this is probably where the ego is going to come in in a second. But once you realize that it is not about, it's not about you. Um, it, you can actually, you breathe, like you relax. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then there's that, oh man, like yeah. I take myself way too seriously. Yeah. And the minute I can just accept the gift, okay, yeah, whatever, I'm good at it, but it doesn't own me. I don't own it. And I use it for the benefit of others and not to manipulate either. It's just, it's, it's for the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know many people in ministry specifically in the Christian ministry who have that down. But can you imagine though, if, if people could attain that where you have your, your, you know, the wife saying that to the husband going, yeah, like she had it from day one. Like, Oh, this guy's charismatic and and could preach the, you know, paying off the building or I don't know. Is that the yeah, thing? That's preach, true. Yeah. Yeah. It, it happens. Some people can do that. And yet, no, like who get who, at the end of the day or your, your sermon because who cares? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that's been good for my spirit is I've always been a questioner. Even when I was a little kid, I, I bothered my Sunday school teachers by asking too many questions. But I was always upset with myself for thinking those questions. And one of the best things was, as I got into my 30s, was saying, it's okay to ask these questions. It's, it's freeing. And you, your soul expands instead of being so contracted and afraid of the questions that you, it is like that sigh of relief, like, oh, I don't have to have the answers. Because as a, as a fundamentalist, whether they admit it or not, most fundamentalists really think they know God. And, and they've got God tightly defined, and he fits right in their back pocket. That's how my church well, was. Well, and they know when he's talking to them, and they right? know how he's responding, and they right and they, they have, know what, and they know what God wants and, you to do, mm-hmm. you know? But, but to let that go and realize, and that's one of the things I like about getting older too, is just to say, I don't know crap. And it's okay to, it's okay to admit that I don't know what comes after this life. It's okay to admit, I don't know these things anymore. Like I thought I did. It's a relief. And it does make you open up your spirit, open up. I, uh, I had the opportunity recently to be on the other side of evangelism. Um, I, I had two... two Joshua, <laughs> do you need to get right with Jesus? Do we need to come to Jesus talk here? Well, do we need to pray with you? That's what happened. Yeah, I, uh, I was at a coffee shop and these two ladies approached me and were very enthusiastic about my, my, t- my obviously my cross tattoo on my face, but um, my other religious tattoos. And um, I, I don't really have this ability to 
you know, just slough off a conversation. So when they ask me what my tattoos mean, I clearly said, yeah, yeah, they, they meant this at one time, but they don't mean that anymore. Um, that just opened the door for them to ask me more questions. And they, uh, proceeded to ask me, well, you do know Jesus is the only way still, right? And I was like, no, I, I don't know that. And they said, well, you know, God is all powerful and he is all loving. And I said, well, yeah, that sounds good. Sure. And, and the conversation spiraled. And next thing I knew, I was being evangelized for the first time in my life. Um, and, but, in, yeah. but in the conversation, um, I, I started to realize, you know, this would be a very different conversation if they asked me why my faith, my faith changed. If they were actually interested in yeah. what happened in my faith journey that made me um, change directions, um, and I felt actually I didn't feel cared for in right. that, and, yeah. and it was a very odd feeling because for the first time I was like, wow, um, you're you're just trying to sell tell me something or sell me a, sell me sell me something, mm-hmm. and and in reality it's it's actually hurting my spirit yeah. or my soul. Yeah. Um, and and I really have pondered a lot on that, and and it made me think of uh, evangelism in a new way because I, I used to think that was the best thing I could do for people, but now I realize the best thing I could do for people is not press my ideas of the world on them, but it's really to just connect with people. Um, and I felt like that was missing yep. in mm-hmm. evangelism or yep. in, in the mm-hmm. experience that I had. And so that, that that's something I would really challenge people who consider themselves still evangelical is, um, I mean, we all have uh, agendas to some extent, but um, really, you know, maybe question whether or not you're seeing somebody and experiencing, you know, really what they're going through instead of just um, trying to to save them because... You know, it might have a prof- profound effect on you and, and your walk. And yeah. isn't it interesting that those women were probably thinking that they were caring for your soul when they completely missed the point that you had deep things going on in your soul, but they wouldn't ask the questions. Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, we all have agendas for ourselves, and then which then, of course, then goes toward the other. Um, if, if, if this is so important to me, it has to be important to you. How do you get, how do you get past that? Like, and it could be a really uh, amazing, like this ideal, like, cause I'm an idealist. And so if I, if something, if I, if something happens and it comes to fruition, I want you all to experience what I experienced, right. but that doesn't mean it's going to be good for you. Right. And I think that's the same thing with, with evangelism or, and, and I've, I've been there, but I know a lot of us have been there before. Yep. It feels really good to talk about this good news but to somebody else who is like, they need a different kind of good news. Uh, oh, and sometimes that's, that's your, tough to swallow. your good news is condemnation. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like we don't have, it's not one perspective. The perspective changes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not one thing. Yeah. They, they, I know they, they really thought that they were caring for my soul, yeah. mm-hmm. but, but in reality it, it didn't, it didn't do that for me. It, it really made me question myself and, you know, feel like I, you know, I really didn't know God and I didn't like, it, it made me kind of veer off the path for a minute. It mm. made me really question where I was at for a minute. But if they would have just asked me, 
why or like you know ask more probing questions i think the conversation would have went very different mm-hmm. because then i would have been able to receive their message a little bit more um but yeah so if you are proselytizing in the near future and you're still listening at this point in this podcast that's some good 411 if you want to manipulate others there you go no kidding i'm kidding don't uh, I know, don't. Yeah, Although don't. When, when people I was, are actually smart. They're really smart. They can tell. They can sniff it out. When I was in a different stage of my spiritual anger slash growth, I tried to proselytize people to my changed beliefs as much as I used to when I was a fundamentalist. I would I would get on diatribes about people who still believed crap that I believed 15 years ago. And so it's it's amazing that, and it goes back to that ego that we think, well, this is my truth, so it must be really important, and I got to share it with everyone. And yeah. if you're an extrovert too, you tend to blab well, out and I, everything you're feeling. And that's important to say because I think it's important too to remember. And this is something that a lot of times I think the church tries to um, neutralize: is we are different. We have different personality types, and so I'm a debater. I've been debating since I could talk. Facts matter to me. I was an apologetics queen. Um, My understanding of things is part of who I am. I work really hard not to be that way anymore. But it it takes a ton of effort for me to keep working on that. And then I meet other people and they don't function that way. And I'm jealous. Um, But I think that's part of growth too, is to recognize we are not all the same. We don't function all the same. And so when I get annoying about climate, which I probably will for the next six months, like you, you now know that you're allowed to like write that off or turn the volume down until I'm done. But it really is coming from a genuine place of like this thing was burst wide open. I'm not trying to, I I don't want to make a case for you. Like there's lots of other people that have done that, but I see something there that's connected to my soul and to our spirit that that we that is worth wrestling with. But the way that comes out from me would be very different than how it would come out of Ryan. And but that's okay. It's just I think that that I think the church didn't always do a great job of making space for that. Um, which is funny because now I'm in circles where they do the Enneagram and there's nine types with two different kinds of wings and different kinds of like, you know, different types, subtypes in that. So there's like a million different types of people and we're okay with that. And it helps us understand each other better when we share our numbers. Um, but that's a that's a long journey. But then you're you're labeling people a number every time I was they just open their mouth. Say that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the Enneagram, but it it's so easy to label people then. <laughs> like, oh well you did this because like I I love talking about deep issues, but I avoid genuine conflict. That's part of my my label and and so it's easy to say, well, that, that's just your, you know, yeah. that's your number. That's your. <laughs> and so I think it's like, and like, but again, this is another like widening and deepening of then at every moment in, in every, let's I'll say significant interaction, I have to keep that stuff in mind that you're not like me and you don't process information like me. And like if I get really passionate, that might frighten somebody else. And so how do we find a middle ground where we can have that conversation? And 
And I think that that, that but that takes conscious effort. Like it's, yeah. I can't just walk into a room and just, this is, it's hard to explain. Yes, I can walk into a room and be myself. But I think that, that as we learn more about how people function and interact, it becomes a more conscious practice of, you know, how is this going and what is this like? And how do we do this well so that we can all practice together? And so that we don't harm other people's souls with our lack of judgment and how to present our opinions. Yeah. And, how to, yeah. Yeah. and we'll make mistakes. And I think, you know, you, you talk about the state of, of soul, the tradition and just my experience over the last couple of decades was that there just isn't room for mistakes. Like if you screw up a, a sermon or, you mess up in a Bible study, like that's it. Like there's no, there's no ever repairing that. And so having to walk into now into collaborative spaces and to trust people that they're not going to do that is been actually really on the surface lately for me to just force myself to trust. Um, it's hard. So what about the death of the soul? We talk about people who have no soul. They've sold their soul to Satan, whatever that may be. Uh, how, does one, how does one get there? Do you think that that's a thing? I'll put it, I know a person who is a diagnosed narcissist. And this person, I think, is um, an awful person who has no soul and no humanity. Mm-hmm. And yet, then I think this person may have been born with something wrong with their brain. And that's why they're a narcissist. And that's why I feel they have no soul. They may have had no control. Right. And so it's really hard for me to even a certain political leader who I feel has no soul or humanity. What if he was born with something in his brain that doesn't allow him to have empathy or, man, that's just so hard for me because I want to judge these this one person in particular and say, this the narcissist, and say, you're an evil bastard. But what if this is out of their control and it's not about them selling their soul and denying their humanity? It's a, a flaw in their physiology. Yeah, and that, this, this is hard because, um, especially when you talk about personality disorders, they are... Yeah so harmful they're so harmful to individuals in their lives and to groups and we've all we've all been to churches where we've had them and they can and something that can be going so well can be completely destroyed um by whatever this is and i i don't know what to say i like that's an area where i've i've worked with a lot of people and um, we, I mean, we know it has something to do with attachment very, very, very early in their development, but do we have to be around them right. and do we have to play in that game? I, I don't think that we do. And I think, I think I wouldn't be a pastor very long anymore because I would tell that person to leave and I wouldn't really hesitate to do that. Um, and yes, if, Jesus can save them from that. That's lovely, but not if you're ruining 150 people's lives every week when you show up. Like, and I don't know how you, I don't know how you decide that, but I think there are definitely, 
things that make that hard. Um, yeah. So maybe part of that's about posture towards people. I think the thing with our backgrounds is that we were told to tolerate that or give grace. Yeah. And we weren't taught how to have healthy boundaries with people that do those kinds of things to us. And so yeah. I think that's, that's something that in growing wide, it's okay to have a boundary. Yeah. I mean, it's okay to say like, I don't really like your soul. You're you do your thing. I mm -hmm. see you have friends mm -hmm. go do your thing, but, but I can't be part of that. But I can't be part circle. of it. And mm -hmm. if I'm a leader and you're part of the, the toxicity, then I may have to ask you to leave and you may take 40 people with you. And uh -huh. I, but like, but I think that that's just learning to identify those kinds of things and then being willing to say, you know what? I don't have to participate in that. Um, and sometimes it looks like they win and that's really disappointing, yeah. but, um, yeah. I, I don't know if I, if you, so if you see it, uh, because it's it's incremental, and then it's almost too late. By the time someone's quote unquote soul dies, it, and and it could be a, a number of factors. Somebody who has um, become so greedy, some somebody who has um, they don't have any love for their spouse anymore. Somebody who's abusive to their friends, and you wonder like how did they how did this person get there? And it's it's not you know it's like the whole idea of the lost sheep in scripture that we read about and. Like, well, how does a freaking sheep get lost? Well, it gets a little grass here, moves on a little bit of grass, and like suddenly, like they're just they're gone. That's it's and, and we're always so shocked when these people that we know and we love are not the same person anymore. Um, but perhaps, and this is going back to going beyond our soul to the soul of the others. If we were more in tune with people on a regular basis, um, these things wouldn't happen. And this is what I think I, I like about the idea of the shepherd slash pastor that's actually tangible and relevant, and it's not just a metaphor, not a job. It's about actually just caring for people. If we actually cared for our friends and our family and our colleagues and all the people that we're connected to, we would see these things coming. If you actually had a really good community and, and, a, and a personhood about you and, and had eyes that could see and ears that can hear, all the stuff that Jesus talks about, um, I, 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 I don't know... Um, we wouldn't be shocked. And I think we're shocked because we don't really care. So, uh, yeah, sure. I, I've, I've seen people who've lost their soul, whatever you want to call it. And you're like, man, how did they get there? I'm like, well, probably because I wasn't there for them. But I can't blame myself. And, I, and I, you know, and it's, there, that's the hard part, too. Like, then you're going to feel guilty. Well, I think it's dual. That, I think it's, yep. it's we feel like, oh, I should have been there. Mm -hmm. But they also stopped yeah. connecting as well. and. Right. And life happens. I mean, it's and it's really hard once you start to when you when you do begin to notice it, you got to call out that bullshit and mm -hmm. you got to say, "Hey, man, like I've noticed this about you, this and how you handle your children or your wife or yourself." I mean, those are really hard conversations, and you might be besties, whatever you want to call it, but even if you've known somebody for ten plus yeah. years, it doesn't mean you can have those hard, difficult discussions and. Giving ourselves that permission, I think, is um, with the other two. Um, that's where it should start. Like, hey, can we actually be real? Can mm -hmm. I? <laughs> so I had somebody at my house recently. This was this was funny. And uh, first time they'd ever been to our house. 
you know, we just met these people and kids are kind of the same age. And these are always fun because it's almost like, you know, families that date each other. <laughs> Is this going to work out? And at one point in the conversation, we end up talking about, you know, friends of ours who have, um, you know, families have fallen apart for all kinds of reasons. And he's like, you know what? I'm, I, I like to say to my friends, I like to just look at them. And Dan, you can cut this out. I say, hey, dude, are you and your wife still f- and like, we, he, this guy and I had never, we had never had that kind of a conversation. And I was like, looking at him going like, you're a badass and we're going to be friends uh-huh. because I know you're going to be the kind of guy that asks me those kinds of questions uh-huh. that matter. And, and as awkward as that moment was in the moment, I go, that guy actually, I think he cares about people. Yeah. 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 Because that's, that's a deep thing that if you're not screwing your spouse, then something's wrong. But how many marriages end up in that point? Because nobody's saying you need to make that a vital part of your marriage right. again. And that, that's just one of many things. But yeah. asking those really hard questions, I yeah. loved hearing that from somebody in my house. Somebody who had no permission to do it, but felt vulnerable enough to go ahead and say, here's yeah. what I ask my friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I, so I so think... take, the, take that to whatever you can apply it to in life. <laughs> because people are getting, getting caught up on sex right now. Yeah. Like, oh, they just said the F word. Yeah. <laughs> And like they can't get like this could be anything in life. Yeah. 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 I think um, when you were talking, the the first thing that came to my mind is people's souls die from greed and from hatred and that kind of thing. But I'm I'm older than everyone else around the table. I'm 53. And what I see in my age group is your soul starts dying because you let go of the things that you used to love. Yeah. And you're you may not be in a job you like, you've got bills to pay. And how many middle-aged people are on the verge of they're going to either become that angry, bitter old person who believes every conspiracy theory they hear because their soul has died and they've had to find things to fill it with, or are they going to move past that that almost inevitable stage where you're facing that, that soul death in middle age? Are you going to move past it and find something you're still passionate about? And that's a whole different level of soul death as you get older that I think you face, it's not so much the, you're, you're a little bit past the greed stage. You're a little bit past some of those things. And then it hits you like, but is there anything that makes me passionate anymore? Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. And I don't, I mean, Janelle and I are around the same age. We're in our forties. So close enough, but not where you're at. I, but yeah, looking back I, in my twenties, yeah, I was very passionate about mm-hmm. everything. Yeah. Everything that came across, I came across mm-hmm. that I read, that I talked. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's funny how, like, now that thirties, now I'm, my, I'm like full into my forties now. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm a little fearful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, give it one, two, three more decades. Oh yeah, because because you can see it in people who are older than you. Yes, and you, I hmm. see it a lot in people my age, yeah. and I I see the tendency in myself to. It's just so comfortable to sink into that rather than forcing yourself to grow and be passionate about life. Because there are moments when to think about learning one more thing is right. And I love to learn. Right. And love to create and love to do new things. But there are moments in life where you're like, I'm so exhausted. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's I just adulted for the day. I'm done. (laughs) Yes. I don't have time for anything else. Years ago, I worked with this amazing woman who traveled the world, who did all these amazing things. And when email first started coming out, and I had worked with her for several years, she said, 
I'm retiring now. She said, I can't learn one more new thing. She had grown up in teletypes and back when those and faxes were cool. And there does get to that point where you're like, no, not one more thing. I can't do it. <laughs> I can't expand anymore. <laughs> but, but I watched someone I really love as they aged do exactly that. And they basically stopped living. Yeah. And just stopped. Like, yep. Watch TV for the next three decades. Yep. Um, and that, that breaks my heart because I never got to know them when they were doing all the things and I wish I had. Yeah. Yeah. So if the soul is something that is both internal and external and it's rooted in, in the flesh, in the soil and all things that we've, that we've talked about, right. In the spirit, is more of a disembodied thing that, you know, we could have a fun conversation about that. Then we have the ego and the ego is something that we all need to have to survive and to thrive in the world. Um, what, how do you, I'm just curious, how do y'all handle your ego as it relates to your soul and your, if, and spirit, if you have a soul, if you have a spirit, if there are spirits, if you think they're all just bad terms and we should just get rid of all of them. But where, where does one's ego fit into the soul? Or maybe they're all the same thing. Maybe it's all part of this thing that we really can't explain. It's There's a no trinity. It's all three and one. Ego, spirit, soul. That's right. I, I couldn't help but see a pattern in our conversation um, when it relates to soul. Um, it seems like when we were talking about soul dying and... Uh, losing the soul, it was a disconnectedness with people. It was more of a, you know, secluding, you know, coming into yourself, which is ironic because in in the church, at least the um, contemporary church, we think of the soul as being individual. But really, in our conversation, I've really seen that the soul is more connected to us as a group, as um, and it starts to die when it, we lose that connected connectedness. Um, I think that there's something that brings our soul to life when we come together, when we co collectively do something. It's like our soul boosts up, it grows, it gets more um, involved and in, or, or whatever. But the more that we lose sight of that, it starts to die. And it's ironic because if you see somebody who is just sitting back and doing their own thing, they might think that they are more connected to their soul, but the way everybody else views it is their soul is dead. Mm -hmm. And so it, it really, at the end of the day, maybe our souls are connected and that's what brings our souls to life. You know, this has so many weird implications for where we came from because devotions, doing your daily devotion, doing your personal quiet reflection, time. doing your quiet time, all of those things separate you and mm -hmm. separate you every day. I don't. I don't even think those things that we were taught are biblical. I don't think they. Yeah. I don't. I don't see them in scripture. Mm. Actually, scripture was a very Agreed. public thing. You would read it out loud in community. Yeah. And would, Judaism was about community, mm -hmm. not individual faith. And yeah. Yeah. And I have friends, and I didn't probably experience this as much, but other friends that talk about like how shaming and fearful those reflection times became of how all the ways I failed 
all the ways I've failed God, all the ways I've disappointed everyone, and yet it's all done in solitude. It's not done in community. And if it is, if they do risk bringing it up with another person, it's often in this unhealthy mentor-mentee thing of like a checklist, you know? And so like there's so much built into that system that divides our souls from each other. It's a wonder that we've kind of landed where we are. Um, is it tr- like what we see going on in conservative Christianity right now? But we were told about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That was very important. And yet, uh, I remember Jim Wallace once, uh, Sojourner's guy, he had said that your, your faith is personal, but it's never private. And that rocked me. This was about 13 years ago. I, 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 actually, uh, it's probably further back than that, but I like to think that I'm... I'm like, I don't like to think that I'm in my 40s, that's all. But when Jim, when Jim had said that, it, I remember it rocked the people around me as well. And what do you mean it's not private? You're, you're trying to make a distinction between personal and private? Now you're, what are you saying? Personal, is personal now public? And, and of course, yes, I mean, he's a social justice kind of guy. But it's never, your faith is never private. Uh, but we were taught that, the personal relationship with Jesus Christ is basically private at the end of the day. It's about your soul going to heaven. It's about you and your quiet times, you reading the Bible by yourself. I, Oh, because Jesus went off to, you know, and he went and prayed by himself. That's where we, we get these little, little verses here and there and these little stories. But Jesus also was interrupted all the time and he was okay with that too. There's a Depeche yeah. Mode song that makes that My, mocks that whole concept, your own personal, personal Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. And it's such a, it, I love that song because it really is like a slap in the face to that whole concept of, yeah, that's what it, it sounds like to it can, an outsider. It, and it can be very dangerous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very yeah. dangerous. I think one of the beautiful things that, um, that I went with a group of 15 to the Parliament of the World Religions in Toronto and one of the beautiful things that happened there is uh, when we sat down to do a review meeting was all of us commenting on the relationships that we made while we were there and how we saw that reflected in the, the cooperative nature of the religions that were present. And so it's given me a new understanding of what this connectedness can do. If we're willing, if I'm willing to lay down my own personal Jesus and just take Jesus with me by the hand and bring him into the room with everybody else, he's welcome to sit next to me and be present with all of the other faiths that are present. And we can all then use the things that we believe in to change the world. And that sounds, I know that sounds so cliche on the other side of the microphone. And I wish I could communicate to you what the experience was like, but cultivating that experience of us all coming to the table with what we are and who we are and what we believe or what we don't believe and just being willing to sit there and do the work, that's what changes things. Um, And so... I totally think that Christians can come to that table. And I don't think you have to sacrifice um, Jesus as the way even, but you have to be willing to let him interact with other things too and not let that be a barrier to, to coming together and moving forward 
as as humans that want to preserve and move forward in this world that we have. Um, I really wish I had, I will have more words in like six years when it all settles in, but it it sounds like one of those mystical experiences that hit a deep spot of truth. But sometimes when you try to explain it, you're like, Oh, I just can't find the words, but But I mean, I mean, this is the scope is that you're, you're looking at like the meeting that's going on right now with all of these climate scientists and leaders from around the world, it was the spiritual leaders from around the world that were all in the room, like leading religions of 500,000 millions of people in the room with you. And they're walking down the aisle to their seat, just like I am. And that's how the work gets done. And that's how the world changes. And it just, it was a whole new perspective. It was, um, I really hope we could all get there. I would much rather evangelize someone to go to parliament or to come to brew theology than I would to sit down and say a specific prayer with me by a mile. It makes me want to ask the question, does Jesus care about this life or just the other? Mm-hmm. You know, like, can we be in a relationship with, with, with God who actually cares about what's going on in this world? And I think that's the shift that needs to take place. Yeah. And I think that's what's taking place in a lot of us it who is, consider ourselves happening. progressive, who consider ourselves like shifting in a new direction. It's, we want to be more involved with what's going on in this world yep. because this is tangible. Yeah. This is what we, we this is what we deal with day and in and day out. It's happening around the world. Yeah. Like not just in New York or in LA. Absolutely. It's happening all around the globe. People are in this shift. And I know I would have heard those words eight years ago, six years ago, and been like, that's just mumbo jumbo. No, it's not. This is, it's so much bigger than saying that my denomination goes to 143 countries and evangelizes for Jesus. Yeah, that's nice. It feels like a a step in the stage of human evolution. It feels like we're moving and that it, it can evolve us to a better stage if we work and push for it. Right. And, and a lot of the things that are happening that are resisting that this move to fascism, pulling away out of community, out of collaboration, out of unity. That is a direct response to to what's happening. But in, in the long scope of history, fascism and that kind of thing is what dies and humans end up evolving. That gives me a tiny bit of hope. (laughs) Yeah. And here we are talking to people who are listening with earbuds by themselves, probably on a treadmill yeah. or at home yeah. or in the car. And by the way, that's, that's fine. That's the world we live in. But I, I want to encourage people right now, like to say, wherever you're at, if you're by yourself, which you probably are, if you're listening to a podcast, like just get out, get out today or tomorrow. I mean, that's it. And G- go and talk g- to someone. Give yourself some, some grace. Like don't, don't, I don't if you have stuff today you, that you're doing, it's okay. Um, but yeah, this week, go have some meaningful conversations with people. Yeah, I, I, I've said the word ironic a lot, and I'm going to say it one more time. <laughs> it's, it's ironic that we come and we listen to a topic about soul, and I guarantee most of us think about, okay, let's learn about my specific soul. Right. And here we are talking about the collective. Uh-huh. Maybe there is more, <laughs> to, more to the it. soul uh-huh. than just an individual. Yeah, and absolutely. so I, I would just encourage people listening to this, 
to really dive dive more into what makes your soul come alive and yeah. and how does us being together really um, foster that development of of our soul and the health of our soul and who in your world makes your soul come alive who is that person what about them what about your connection makes that happen and how do you cultivate more of that so I think there are two like very important key things we got to dive into before we we finish this talk. And I know I know we're probably in part two right now, yeah. and that's cool. But these two things I think to get us to some application points personally and collectively too. This soul descent, um, getting back to the earth, getting back to the wilderness, metaphorically and literally. Even if you look at the life of Jesus, whether you believe that story to be true or not, where he goes off in the wilderness and he's tempted by Satan, and it's—I mean—he's literally at his wits' end. Great brewery, by the way, in Timber, Colorado. <laughs> yes, it is. He's hungry. Uh, he needs a beer. He need—he needs something. Yeah, turn this stone to bread. You know, dive down off this and let the angels catch you. And all, but all that's so Jesus go, he goes off for 40 days. He's the new Moses, but there, there is a soul descent into a wilderness of sorts, um, that awakens yourself to then go back out into the world and live the life you were intended to live. And, and Jesus does this as a 30 year old rabbi, according to the text, which is great. According to the traditions that we know about, because when you're 30, you're a rabbi and you start doing your thing and he gets his followers right after that. And he begins to heal people, do miracles, and, and teach. But he has to have the wilderness experience before he does that. You all personally, those who are listening even, I mean, I'm, I'm curious, like, what is that soul descent? To understand who you are and why you're here, and what is this soul? Uh, have you had a, a wilderness descent, a soul descent? What did that look like? You didn't know I was going to go there tonight. But it's right there in question number four. <laughs> I just, that was a long question. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I would say my deconstruction process has put me into a, a soul descent um, because it, it really did awaken my mind to um, the world around me. I, I was more open. I, I am now more open to the world around me, and and <clears throat> it's so it's so weird to think that um, in the wilderness I find more and more people. Like I find more and more connection. Like at first, when I stepped into the wilderness, I felt alone, and the more I um, stay in the wilderness, the wilderness, the more I find um let's use an analogy uh animals in the wilderness that come to me that speak to me that show me um more about myself that i wasn't aware of before um i think that's so interesting because the way i was taught growing up the wilderness was supposed to be a lonely thing but for me the wilderness is more of an interactive thing um, the wilderness is learning about Buddhism. The wilderness is learning about the Tao. The, the wilderness is learning about um, all the things around me that I wasn't even aware of that were right next door. Um, and, and that has really uh, brought me to a place of uh, soul awareness that I've never experienced before. 
And it's, it's uh, brought me to a place of humility that I didn't know I could experience. I think one of the things I hear over and over and over of, in particular, Christians that are deconstructing is they feel so very alone because for decades they've had a a community cultivated around them that was pre-built and made for them. And I, what I'm trying not to say out loud is I think some of that community's fake. That's a harsh assessment and it's not always true. Okay. But I think for a lot of us that it has felt that way at times, especially if you're in a community that's really clicky and you're not in one of the cliques, it can be a very lonely place, but you have to verbally say that you're part of this covenanted community, even though you may be sitting alone every week. Um, But that is even something we long for once we're gone because it's so hard to find each other. Um, And so I think that makes this soul descent in this wilderness so hard because you feel alone. But I would agree with you, once I started finding people, it got a lot better. And so being in the wilderness and not having answers and not being able to explain it all is okay when everybody around you can't either. Um, And if you, I'm sure if you're listening to us, you probably already know this. There's several Facebook groups. There's the Liturgist community, which is a big Facebook community. Um, Hippie Heretics is another community that's out there that you can join. Um, And if you are really struggling, if you're in the midst of your descent um, and you need to connect to a group that's talking through that process, Kathy Escobar hosts a faith shift group. If you would uh, contact me, Janelle, I can connect you into that group if you would like to be part of that, a place to talk about what's going on in the midst of transition. Um, But yeah, most of those things didn't exist as I was doing this in the last four years. And Wild Goose was probably the salvation of really turning a corner um, of finding people that are experiencing it. But the thing is with the soul descent, Ryan, like we expect there to be a bottom. And I, I think it turns into your black hole. At some point you go through the middle and you come out somewhere else and it's not a descent anymore. Yeah. Uh- that is that's the weird thing. Your 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 desert wilderness actually becomes a little bit of a paradise promised land. Yeah, an oasis. <laughs> it's we it's weird. So I would say ten eleven years ago, Lauren and I were in a space where she had tried to get into med school in the U.S. and San Antonio specifically four years in a row, and she got denied. And this is a this is not a private story. We've told people this. I don't think I've ever told this group this. And it was that fourth year, and I had I had said, well, what about you know, Dominica in the Caribbean? This Ross University, it's legit, it's accredited, all fifty states. You got to pass your boards, uh, but more people can get in. Let's just let's check this out. So we went, and but in the back of my mind, I'm like, I don't I don't want her to do this. I don't want to leave San Antonio. I had a, a potential opportunity to help plan a church at that point. And when the opportunity arose, my ego, going back to ego, was uh, at odds with the situation of going, oh man, like I, I don't, I don't want this to happen. Like I, I want to do my own thing. I don't, I mean, yeah, I want her to be a doctor. That's cool and all, but 
I don't want to leave San Antonio, my family, and sell our possessions and leave my whole career trajectory. And I, I remember like it was that was a tough moment of battling with myself until I finally realized like this was my ego. And it wanted to do what it thought it needed to do in San Antonio to be this kind of pastor that I thought I was going to be and called to be. And it was very, what I thought at the time was very spiritual and religious and good and all that. But looking back, I go, it was my ego talking the whole time. So I, I remember telling Lauren, I go, no, this is, this is what we're, we're supposed to do. Let's do it together. This isn't about you and it's not about me. It's about us as a family. And so we applied to Ross University in the Commonwealth of Dominica. She got in, we sold her house uh, left it actually sold in less than a week, which is crazy. Sold our possessions, and then that year in 2008, this is over 10 years ago, we we moved to Dominica. Uh, but I was I was uh, mortified. My ego had it. It was like crumbling and defeated, and I'm like, great! All the stuff that I thought I was supposed to be in this city, and it's not going to happen. That's where I found my soul. In Dominica, uh, amongst this, it's a, it's a beautiful island, by the way. If you've never been there, it's called the Nature Isle of the Caribbean. And I fell in love with the children there. Um, I started a ministry there. I helped plant a church there, taught at some Catholic school. They let a Protestant guy teach at a Catholic school, which is kind of funny. <laughs> uh, but it was all, all the things that I, I, I never knew that I had within me. It was a foreign country, different people. And um, I had I had to literally like speaking of dying to self, like my my false self had to die to do that to then find that that paradise. And it was ironically in the Caribbean, but <laughs> hey, it was a third world country nonetheless. You pirate you. It was a, yeah, yeah. Uh, but but you know, I I had, to, I had to I so I had to tell myself that story. That's that's in a very short version. I had to tell that to you all and myself, mostly for me, to remind myself of like don't. Don't let your ego drive you and your family. It'll never work. Because um, I, I don't think I would be who I am today without that story. I'd, I'd probably be uh, an eggplant emoji, you know, just a big, <laughs> a big ass eggplant emoji. Uh, and I still can be that from time to time. Let's be honest. I think we all no. can. <laughs> but it's been it's helpful to like to retell that story and to, and to reclaim. Yeah. Reclaim soul in the wilderness. Like that's where you find that's where you find the paradise. All right. So lastly, here we had Andy Murphy on the podcast a while back. She was also at the Denver community. She is the rock and roll shaman, and she said that if people are depressed and they can't find meaning, that shamans will ask the downward soul this question: Hey, when's the last time that you sang or you danced? And then this rabbi that we've been mentioning, Naomi uh, Levy, she had said that if you're feeling cut off from your soul, if you're having trouble finding it, if you can't seem to get out of your head, which is probably a lot of us around <laughs> these circles, my advice is sing. So can you relate to that? And, and then, yeah, this is how we're going to end it tonight. What is it that one thing or many things, could be a lot of things, that reconnects you to that soulful living? Well, you all know that I love silent disco at Wild Goose. <laughs> because that is, um, it's part of my, I mean, part of my denominational story that was just not allowed. And so when I found out that I not only enjoy it, but am competent at dancing, I don't know. Is that a thing? I know people say I'm a terrible dancer and I'm like, I'm not. I know um, I am, but I do it anyway. Yes. <laughs> so... 
So, I mean, dancing is part of it, but um, I have a really, really complicated relationship with singing because of the church and because of a lot of the shit that goes on in worship groups. And uh, I have had multiple people in the last few months um, bring that up, that it's something that I need to do. So I don't know how that's going to happen yet. We we were talking beforehand, Elizabeth and I, about doing maybe beer and carols somewhere, um, and that's a start. Um, a collective voice, too. Yes, uh-huh. a collective voice. Well, it's, so, I mean, this is taking it quite literally, but the idea of dance and what makes you happy is I had this experience lately where I went out to a club with retro music from the 80s. When, when I was in my early 20s, I went out to dance clubs and danced till 2 a.m. And God, it was the blast. Some of the best fun times I've had. So I went out a couple of weeks ago to this dance club that was still playing 80s music, which I don't normally listen to oldies. But I had such a blast, even though we were all a bunch of old, old farts out there dancing. And I yeah. had such a great time. And it this this quote feels so literal to me because... I felt free for the first time in a long time, free of the fact that I was out there dancing and I was no longer 21 and hot. I was a 53 year old middle-aged woman and it didn't matter to me anymore because I had let go of what people might think of me and just had a blast. And there was, there's something about the literal dancing. And if you think of a little kid, like Ryan's got these two adorable little girls dancing and singing and laughing and how, unfettered they are by people's expectations that's what that's what i want to be that's well, we, what i move in we can't have into. our body and our soul be separate if we're actually like really dancing right. or if really, really singing into it. yeah those two things have to be connected yeah. singing your your instrument is in your throat mm-hmm. you you can't not connect them and dancing your whole body your is whole in touch body with that is. beat yeah I knew that karaoke was a spiritual endeavor, <laughs> exercise, See, discipline. See, I've not had this experience yet. This small makes perfect sense. <laughs> so you're saying we need karaoke night too. New Year's you know, karaoke. And I think, it's, so speaking of Soul Brother, when when I knew that Trip Fuller from Homebrew Christianity, when he was a karaoke guy like me, I go, I knew we were going to be friends. Yeah, like you do, yeah. That was that was a great part of that. That is whole fun. Yeah, thing that was fun. <laughs> I haven't done karaoke in over a year now. It's it's fun. Okay, I, Brutheology karaoke night. Get it's, it set it's up. time. We should do it again. Let's do it. <laughs> and soulful, the soulful life for me. Awakening that, connecting that. It's got to be. It's always people for me, though. I mean, it's yeah, going out, having fun, having a fun time with friends, and. Mm-hmm. Realizing like these people actually care about you and you care about them. Yeah. I think a reason why Thursday nights are so important to me, and even as somebody who worked as a pastor for years in a local church, gathering with people in meaningful ways is, I mean, knowing that what you're doing in these spaces, creating um, spaces for a safe conversation, a brave conversation and people to be honest about who they are and not feel judged at the end of the night like that, that encourages my soul that people can, can do this in a way that we're like, maybe they can't do that anywhere else. Their families, they can't do that. And their workplace, they can't do that. But here, you know, so knowing that that happens to me makes me feel like, yeah, this is good for the world. 
Yes, it is. <laughs> For me, man, this this right here is what connects me to soulful living. Um, just being able to talk to people about the questions that I have, to be able to be myself. Um, I felt very isolated for the last couple of years, just alone, scared, um, not knowing where to go when it comes to these these types of questions, um, branching out of the religion that I'm used to, the the community that I'm used to. So just being around people who are willing to ask these types of questions, it just brings my soul to life because... I, I, I really am not looking, to be honest, right now for an answer. I'm just yeah. looking for more people who want to ask the questions. <laughs> and and so that that right now, in whatever context it is, is just it brings my soul to life um, to meet people, to experience life with people who are just willing to be real with themselves. And when things come up in their brain, instead of stifling it, um, letting it flow, letting it come, letting it um, speak to other people. Because... You know, who knows? Maybe a question that I have in my head is going to help change the life of somebody else by just me asking it. And it's not about the the solution that I come to. It's just about me asking the question. So I'm just really grateful to have found a community and a group of people who are willing to ask those questions. Taco Tuesday. That that also reconnects me. Ta- <laughs> today, today is Tuesday. I had tacos. You're good. While my body might uh, disagree with me, my soul was alive. I am now have a, I'm back to my Neoplatonic viewpoint that it's disembodied. No. How about you? How about you, Elizabeth? Oh, just what I already said was um, finding things that make you feel alive and um, letting go of other people's expectations and doing it even if you look like a fool. That that's a good thing to move toward, I think. That's a good last word. Okay, internet people, be vulnerable. Yes, <laughs> find so, someone to be vulnerable with. Yeah. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Clinkity clink. Or, not clink. Well, there you go.